This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I hope that you've been just encouraged by our time uh, so far in this service, and I just, uh, you know, I just sense the the camaraderie of of God's people scattered around, and I am uh, just so so blessed to uh, to be here today. If you would go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to, to the book of Matthew chapter 16, and also we will be in uh, the book of Acts chapters 1 and 2. And I would just encourage you, I know when you're at home, uh, it's easy to multitask, you know, throw a load of laundry in or, uh, you know, whatever you're doing. But as much as possible, I would just encourage you to really focus on, on the Word and, and, and God's Spirit, and uh, just see what He has for us today. Word, of course, has been circulating little by little around our nation and even around our community that everything is closed. Uh, businesses are, are closed, schools are closed, and then this week, the word on the street was that the church is closed. But my question is, is, is it really? Is the church really closed? Now, if you've reduced church to being a building, I, then I guess the church is closed. And, and I, I just say, that's a bummer, man. If the church is closed, that's a bummer. What's going to happen to Christianity since it appears that a good part of the world has indeed closed the doors to the church? But may I just jump in and, and, and say that the church is not closed, And yes, all across the country, with very few exceptions, church doors are closed and they're not open for the public as normal, but please know that the church is not closed because the church is not a building. And regardless of what your response is to the word church, my hunch is that it's a far cry from what people thought in the first century. In the first century, the The church wasn't even remotely close to what it has become today. The church wasn't a building. It wasn't an institution. It wasn't a denomination. Uh, It wasn't about tradition. There were no PowerPoint presentations. There were no praise bands, no piano, no no keyboards. There was no U version of the Bible. There, There was no King James version of the Bible. In fact, this kind of messes with our minds a little bit, but there were no Bibles at all. From the very, very beginning, the church was a movement. And it was a movement that centered around an event that pretty much only gets talked about once a year. The church was launched around the historical event that we call the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, to help lay the foundation for our lesson this morning, I want to give you a little Greek lesson. Most of you would know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and actually it was called Koine Greek, and is different than modern-day Greek. But there's a, a word in the original Greek language of the New Testament that is found 115 times. Many of you have heard this word. It's the word ekklesia. Uh, in fact, wherever you are, I, I want you to say it together with me on the count of three. Okay, it's ecclesia. One, two, three, ecclesia. You know what? I, I sense some of you didn't say it. You just rolled your eyes because it thought, thought it would be weird. So I'll give you one more chance, okay? We're going to say the word ecclesia together on the count of three. One, two, three, ecclesia. 
Now, what does ecclesia mean? Well, ecclesia is the Greek word that most Bibles have translated church. But I want us to know that the word ecclesia doesn't really mean church in the sense that we have come to understand church. When the church or the ecclesia was launched in the New Testament, it was launched as a gathering or an assembly. We could maybe just call it a movement. But something terrible happened in history. The, the concept of the New Testament ecclesia changed. As time went on, a transition took place. The concept of ecclesia transitioned from the idea of a movement to a building. It, it went from a gathering to a religious hierarchy. And the little Greek word ecclesia, meaning a gathering or a movement, evolved into something drastically different. And this change basically was represented by a, a German word. And, and, and I did some research on this word. And, and this change from the original concept of ecclesia being an assembly or a gathering or a movement was represented by the English derivative of the German word Kirche. And, and this German word for church literally means the Lord's house. And, and I'm not going to... Uh, to bore you with all of the history, but essentially within just 300 years after the birth of the church, ecclesia, that carried the idea of a movement, had transitioned to the idea of church being a building, and we call it what? The Lord's house. And as spiritual and as wonderful as it sounds to say, well, I'm going to the Lord's house today, that very incorrect linguistic translation resulted in some horrible theology. And the church that was supposed to be a movement now became a building. Even if it did sound good that we call it the Lord's house. And here's what that led to. A whole lot of control in the church. A hierarchy developed that began to control and whoever controlled the building controlled the church. And whoever controlled the building control the scripture. And whoever controlled the building and controlled the scripture controlled the people. And, and even in some, some segments of Europe, whoever controlled the building and controlled the scripture and controlled the people also controlled the government. And so what began as a, as a movement of spreading the gospel around the world became a very insider-focused, a, a ritualistic, and even in some cases immoral, destructive, selfish organization that had a very distorted view of the original concept of ecclesia, which again was to be a gathering or a movement. And I believe that that distortion that began in 300 AD is part of the reason why some people continue to turn their backs on the local church because now the church, in, church is more organization-centered. It's, it's more building-centered. It's man-centered rather than being centered around the fact that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. Well, that was the bad. But then something good happened in the early 1500s. A man came to the forefront in England by the name of William Tyndale. William Tyndale was a linguistic scholar. And during that period of time, regular people like us had no access to the scriptures. And people had to go to a cathedral and listen to a priest read from a translation of the scripture that included Latin words that the common person could not understand. And here's what takes place when you only have a select few that can read and understand the word. 
there's no accountability. And so those few people begin to control and manipulate the truth. Well, William Tyndale uh, decided he had enough of this, and he felt it was time to translate the Bible from the original Hebrew and, and Greek text into English, which would open the door to millions of people having access to the truth of God's Word. Well, as you can only imagine, the church leaders who had grown powerful, because remember those few who had access to the Word of God control the church, they control the people. So when William Tyndale set out to get the Scriptures into the hands of common people, the leaders were furious. And because of that, William Tyndale became an outlaw. He had to leave England to save his life. He fled to Germany, where he continued to do his translation work. And thanks to Gutenberg, who had invented the printing press nearly 100 years earlier, Tyndale was able to begin mass production of the Bible in English, and he began to smuggle them back into England. And suddenly, the average person had the means to possess a copy of the Bible in a language they could understand. Well, Tyndale was eventually betrayed by a friend, and he was brought back to England, tried for being a heretic. They proclaimed him to be the number one enemy of the church, and here's what they did. They hanged him. And if that wasn't bad enough, they were so mad, they decided to burn his body as a double punishment to make a statement. And remember who did this? This was done by the leaders of the church. Do you see how the original concept of ecclesia that was supposed to be a movement united around the resurrection of Jesus Christ had become so messed up to where church leaders would hang someone that just wanted to get the scriptures into the hands of common people like you and me. You know, today in, in Cedar County where I live, here, here's what we would say, that is so whacked out. I mean, that's messed up. So William Tyndale became a martyr of the faith. But those who would take his life, this is awesome. They were too late. Because the word of God was already into the hands of common people. And the church that thought in terms of controlling the truth and controlling the people began to lose its power because the average person could now read the scriptures in their own language and see the error of those who were trying to control the scriptures and control the people and control the church. And it was interesting that during William Tyndale's trial, he made several famous statements, and here's one, and, and this is in Old English, so it, it kind of sounds funny, but he, he said uh, to the religious leaders of his day, he said, if God spares my life, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow, and, and the implication was a farmhand that maybe had no education, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scriptures than thou, meaning the church leaders. And one of the things that drove the church leaders absolutely wild is that as William Tyndale was translating the scriptures into English, when he got to that little Greek word, ecclesia, he, he didn't translate that as the Lord's house. 
in his copy of the New Testament, when he got to the word ecclesia, he went back to the original meaning and put in the word assembly or congregation, movement. It was his attempt to return the church back to a movement of God's people that would be a growing multicultural, multi-ethnic, mission-centered movement of people around one single event in history, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a long introduction to our lesson, but I feel it's important that we understand these very important events that form part of the history of the church, the ecclesia. Now, as we turn to Matthew's gospel, there's an incident where Jesus gathered his disciple together and and he asked them an interesting question. And, and, And if you're insecure, you better not ask this question. He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Or in plain terminology, what's the word on the street about me? Or when people talk about me, what do they say? Well, one of his disciples said, well, some people think you're a reincarnated John the Baptist. And another one said, well, others think you're a reincarnated version of some Old Testament prophet. But Peter, the outspoken one, he said, Jesus, let me tell you who I think you are. He got it. He said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And that pleased Jesus And he said this in verse 17, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. And do you know what the original word is there? Yeah, you got it. Ecclesia. I will build my movement. And then it says, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That this movement that was not limited to being a structure, a, a building, a denomination would be so strong that all of the power of hell could not conquer it. So do you know what this says to me today? It says that as thousands of churches have closed their doors as millions of believers are unable to worship together in a building as powerful as this virus is that's sweeping the globe are you listening it cannot conquer the ecclesia the the church of jesus christ is not affected by covid-19 that the church of jesus christ is alive and well the powers of hell cannot and will never, never, never prevail against the ecclesia. Well, not too long after Jesus asked who people said that he was, he was crucified. And on the third day, you know history. He rose from the dead. He spent about 40 days with some of his followers. And at the end of the 40 days, he gathered some of them on a hillside and he gave them his final instructions. In Matthew, we call it the Great Commission. But the book of Acts also gives a version of Christ's final instructions, and and he predicts. And this is so amazing. He predicts the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And Jesus was saying that this movement was going to touch every single part of the world, beginning in Jerusalem, going to Judea, Samaria, then the ends of the earth. Well, shortly after those instructions, Jesus ascended up into the heavens, and 
this little group of 120 people, they were so confused again. I mean, Jesus died, came back to life. Now he just disappeared up into the heavens. And, and so it's interesting in their confusion. It's interesting what they did. They went back into the city of Jerusalem. And you know what they did? They began to pray. Which is, which by the way, is what we should be doing today. I wonder if we spent as much time praying as the time we spend on social media, the time criticizing our leaders or criticizing others that we think are underreacting or others that are overreacting. I wonder if we would spend as much time on our knees praying if this horrible pandemic might already be in the distant past, if we would have prayed like the early church. Well, the Bible said they prayed continually for several days, and then something amazing happened. Jewish people and converts from Judaism had come to Jerusalem from over a dozen different regions in the world to celebrate the festival of the Passover. And Scripture says that while those 120 were praying together on the day that we now refer to as the day of Pentecost, suddenly the Holy Spirit showed up in a powerful way just as Jesus had predicted. And, and, and the overflowing of the Holy Spirit manifested himself in such a way that the individual followers of Jesus were suddenly able to speak the lang- language of all these people who had gathered in Jerusalem for that particular festival. And and there was all this excitement, and and people were saying all kinds of things. Some were saying, hey, these people are drunk. But others were saying, no, look look at your watches. It's still early in the morning. They're not drunk. And listen carefully. They're speaking my language. How is it that these Galileans are able to speak our language? There was quite the buzz around town. And please understand, this, this event was huge. The day of Pentecost was significant for several reasons, but one is that it showed that the gospel was not just for one culture or one language, but the, the church was a movement that would be multinational, that would be multi-ethnic, it, it would be multicultural, just as Jesus predicted, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And and this is such an important part of the understanding of Christianity. These first century believers were not simply teaching what Jesus taught. Christianity isn't about embracing a teaching. Please get this. Nor is Christianity about going through the doors into a building that today we call church. If, If that were the case, then closing down church during the corona crisis, coronavirus crisis, would close down Christianity. Now, now, Once again, so you get this embedded in your mind, Christianity from the very outset was a movement centered around a person and an event in history called the resurrection. And so Peter preached Christ crucified, raised from the dead. And that right there was the opening sermon on the opening day of the church, the ecclesia of Jesus Christ. But here we are in 2020. Most of us fail to understand the word church because when we say word church, you know what we think? Yeah, I go to that church down the road. Or, you know, for us, I go to the church of God holiness there on Park Street. Or, yeah, I haven't been in church for a while. Or I need to get back into church. Or, you know, I don't like my church. Or I do like my church. Or, or yeah, church is shut down because of the virus. 
I'm just telling you, on the opening day of the church, those statements would not have made a bit of sense because the church was a gathering of people centered around the person of Jesus Christ who had resurrected from the dead, and there was a power that would thrust that message, the gospel, to the ends of the earth. And then Peter said something that I found very interesting in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, repent, be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. And listen to this little phrase. For all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Do you know who the all who are far off is? Yeah, it's you. It's me. It's, it's our children. It's our grandchildren. And, and this was Peter's way of saying, you know, this, this isn't just a Jerusalem thing. This isn't just something for conservative Midwesterners. This movement, this message, and all the supernatural power that was there on the day of Pentecost, it was for, it was for Peter 2,000 years ago. It's for us as well. It's for our children. It's for our grandchildren. It's for all who are far off, far off geographically, far off in the calendar timeline. This is a gospel that will reach people who haven't even yet been born in places that don't know anything about Jesus. Well, then after Peter's message, they had their first altar call. And I don't know about you, probably most of you, at least if you grew up in this part of the world, you grew up with altar calls. And, you know, revivals would come to town and, and the song evangelists would sing, you know, just as I am. Or it seemed like on the last night they would get to the one that always scared me half to death and almost persuaded and you know, it seems like there would always be a scary story, somebody going out and being hit by a car, and, and uh, you know, the, the pastor would literally try to scare heaven into you and hell out of you, and uh, I mean, some of you know, know those days, but at this gathering where, where Peter was preaching, they didn't sing a hymn. Peter didn't tell any scary stories or emotional stories to get people to respond. There was so much passion and anointing and conviction. You know, that was what I prayed as we approached today, that even though our buildings are empty, I prayed that there would be so much anointing and passion there where you're watching it. And I just prayed, God, would you let there be something really special about your spirit today? And look how the crowd responded in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church. Remember, the church is a movement. Added to the church about 3,000 in all. I was just thinking about this. Do you know how long it would take to baptize 3,000 people today, especially if all the families had to shoot a video with their cell phones? Can you imagine that? And can you imagine the talk around town? I mean, this wasn't a huge city in those days. So, so 3,000 people suddenly converting to Christianity was big. 
You see, from the very beginning, the church was founded on a big God. From the very beginning, big things happened. From the beginning, there was big power. From the beginning, there was a big response. And 2,000 years later, do you know what the common denominator is for all Christians around the world? It's certainly not the way we worship. In fact, worship wars divide us. It's certainly not our music. It's not the way we think in terms of our traditions. Churches have so many different traditions. It's, it's not the way we dress. It's, it's not the way we do communion. It's not the way we do baptism. It's not even our exact theology or doctrine because there are so many differences. Those things are not common denominators in Christianity today. But the point of common ground for those of us that call ourselves Christians is that we believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he rose from the dead and his death paid for our sins for all who believe. And temporarily closing the doors of a building like ours to present the potential spread of COVID-19 changes none of that. And something I was thinking about this week is that, you know, this changes some of our preconceived ideas of the church. Because again, the, the church was not a location. It, uh, and, and church wasn't originally for church people because there weren't any church people. That kind of messes with our minds, doesn't it? It wasn't about a tradition uh, or style, you know, traditional versus contemporary versus blended. There, there was none of that. There was none of this saying, we've never done it this way before because they hadn't done it before. But there is a power to the gospel of Jesus and And that power is continuing to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And since the opening day of the church, there have been missionaries, there have been Bible translators, there have been evangelists, there have been Bible smugglers, there have been people who have served, people who have taken care of the poor in the name of Jesus. And and these people understood that when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was then available to every single human being who would embrace the message of Jesus In fact, down through the ages, there have always been people who have gotten that. And you know what I love uh, about many of you that I get to gather with every Sunday is that you get this. And I'm so grateful for that. And even though today in our effort to control this pandemic, we're we're not having service in this building. And uh, I'm missing the fellowship with you. You know, you miss the togetherness. I, I, I even get the feeling that some of you are having withdrawal because you don't have your normal fix of donuts that we make available for you. And it was really tough. I did my best. I tried to personally eat all of the 10 dozen donuts that we have here by myself, but actually it didn't quite do that. But I, 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 love, I love the fact that you get it. You understand. Yes, we miss our routine, but you get the fact that You are the church. You are the ecclesia. And when you text someone and lift their spirits, you're the church. And I never dreamed that I would say this in church, but when you take someone a roll of toilet paper in the name of Jesus, and we had some people do that this past week, but when you do that, 
you're the church. The church of Jesus Christ does that kind of stuff. Closed doors may change our routine, but it doesn't affect our faith, and you get it. You understand that the church is a movement centered around the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose on the third day, and this is a message for the entire world. And you understand as well that there will come a day, hopefully very soon, when we will come back together again. And I'm going to declare a party. Whenever we can come back together again, there is going to be a party of all parties here at the Church of God Holiness. We're going to come back strong and united, realizing the importance of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But until that time... I am so confident that you will be the ecclesia. You will be a movement. And, and, and this is really, really deep. I, probably a lot of you won't be able to understand this. This is just going to be over your heads. But do you know what a movement does? It, it moves. I, I told you a lot of you wouldn't understand that. But... Um, a movement moves. It advances. And so until we can meet again in this building, be the ecclesia. I'm almost finished. As the preacher is supposed to say and in conclusion, which means absolutely nothing, but here are five just practical suggestions. As I was praying and preparing, I just... There are just five closing suggestions I wanted to give you. Really practical stuff. Suggestion number one. During this crisis, don't assume the worst. Don't get paranoid and assume the worst. If you get a little cough, if you get a little fever, don't assume the worst. And In fact, this past Friday, I, I, I spoke with a, a doctor, and, and I said, Doc, can you give me the symptoms that you're looking for, uh, that, that our healthcare professionals are really trying to use to decipher when and if they should be tested for COVID-19. And he said, yes, I, I, I'd like to do that. And so here, here are what they use, the, kind of the profile person they're, they're looking at. The, the, the person has to have a confirmed fever of 100 to 101. And, and again, there can be some exceptions, but as a general rule, confirmed fever of 100 to 101. If it's a low-grade fever at this point, they will probably test you for something else, an ear infection, strep throat, the flu that you know we've had all winter. Um, secondly, they're looking for people who have had have a cough, not just a cough, but accompanied by shortness of breath and or chest pains. So just a cough, tickle in your throat, doesn't necessarily point to the virus. It, it needs to be accompanied by shortness of breath or chest pains. Thirdly, in our country, our doctors are looking for those who have traveled to areas where there have been confirmed cases or where they've had contact with those who have tested positive for the virus. So could I just say don't assume the worst? Don't have a sense of panic. Remember the the cough and the fevers and the flu, sore throats were around long ago before COVID-19 made its way into our world. And um, 
just for your information, and I received permission from a doctor to say this, um, there are no confirmed cases in our county as of this point. I know there have been a lot of testing, and there may be some positives in the future, but as of today, uh, to my knowledge, unless things have changed in the last two hours, there are no confirmed cases in our county. Suggestion number two. As you isolate physically, don't isolate mentally nor spiritually. We live in a blessed generation where you can stay connected through social media, through, through texting, through chat groups, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, there's an old-fashioned device also called a phone. Um, and you know what? We don't withdraw. Uh, don't isolate during this time. Suggestion number three, keep worshiping. You know, during this short time, hopefully it's just a short time when you're not together with the other believers in a church building, don't neglect your personal time of worship. Worship through music. Worship through the Word. You know, we have our, our, our books there, draw a circle, and man, some people are saying, thank you so much. That's really causing us to go to our knees and helping us to refocus. And, and then Wednesday night, I was encouraging in my class uh, the, the people to read some Christian classics. And, and one of them started that this week, and they said, you know, you ought to repeat that Sunday morning because that is so beneficial. So find some good Christian classics um, worship through the times of streaming and, and the Zoom on the Wednesday night and from this church and other churches. Suggestion number four, step up efforts to serve others and share the hope we have in Christ. You know, we're trying to do that on Wednesday night. We're not feeding the kids in our building, but we're feeding the kids at their houses. Thanks to Miss Tessie and, and, and our kitchen crew and and we believe that we need to continue to share the hope that we have in Christ. People are going to be more open about hearing Christ, the solid rock. And so don't neglect the people that God has called us to reach. In the Old Testament, lepers were treated with disdain, isolation. New Testament, when Jesus came, lepers were treated with love and respect. So don't violate the guidelines of the CDC or our president or governor. But this is our moment as a church to shine and share the hope that we have in Christ. And then the last suggestion, follow Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. You know, be careful what you put in your mind. And if you exclusively feed on the bad news of COVID-19, you're going to be filled with fear. You're going to be filled with panic, apprehension. You're going to be a mess. And so why don't you maybe read this verse every day? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, here, listen, it says, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put into practice. And what will be the result when you fill your mind with this? And the God of peace will be with you. So if, if you're filled with apprehension and fear, anxiety, 
There's the formula right there. Fill your mind with these things. So it's a new world for us. But I believe the church of Jesus Christ has some bright days ahead. So could I just, before I pray, could I just encourage you? Be the ecclesia. Be a movement centered around Jesus Christ and His resurrection. The church, the ecclesia, is alive and well. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I know it's so easy for us to just focus on the bad, and there's a lot of bad. But Lord, I pray that we would also take time to just fill our minds with those things that are true and noble and right and pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Let us think on those things. Lord, give us wisdom as a church. Help us to stay in, in touch with the healthcare system. But Lord, I pray that we would also, even more than that, stay in touch with you. That we would receive our orders from you. And God, I just pray that this week would be an amazing week where we can be the church, the ecclesia, where there's a movement where we can serve others. And we're not just going to barricade ourselves in, but Lord, we're going to serve. We're going to serve the people that you've called us to minister to. Thank you for this time together. Bless those that have tuned in. Lord, help them to have a great afternoon together as a family and And this week, Lord, let us just um, hear from you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. May the God of peace fill you with that peace today. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.